0: Welcome to the Calvary Church podcast. Glad everybody's here. Grateful for all of our guests. Welcome you to Calvary Church today. And uh, this adult Bible class is uh, a favorite of mine, and uh, I love to teach the Word of the Lord. Of course, I also love to listen to Brother. Greg Wright, he does a tremendous job alternating with me and pinch-hitting for me, and uh, I guess you can tell he's been doing this class more and more often, and I think that's a good thing. Give Brother Wright a hand. (laughs) Amen. Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer and ask God to be with us in our class today. Heavenly Father, we love you and thank you for all you do for us. What a mighty God we serve. What a holy God and a good God. We appreciate all of your many blessings lord thank you for the blessing of shielding us from the cold and giving us lord opportunity to escape the inclement weather that uh, was forecasted and that other folks are enduring across the country today we get to have church and we thank you for it lord be with us all afternoon let your will be done let your spirit flow mightily in this class and all the classes. And in the worship service this afternoon, use Brother Ethan Hagen in a mighty way, God, to deliver the word today. Have your way in all that's said and done and thought, we pray. Let your name be glorified in and through it all, and let your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. While you remain standing, if you're able, let's go to the word of the Lord. If you have your Bible or device you're going to read from, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. And I want to read one verse of Scripture as a precedent and a setting for my remarks this morning. I love the writings of the Apostle Peter. He's uh, way back towards the back, but that doesn't make his writings any less important than the rest of the New Testament. By the way, do you know why his two epistles, the letters that he wrote that are put in the Bible are so far towards the back of the New Testament. Does anybody know why that is? It uh, has nothing to do with him, but uh, the books of uh, the Bible after uh, the book of Acts, those letters that are sandwiched between Acts and Revelation, the New Testament begins, of course, with the four Gospels, Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then there's the book of the Acts of the Apostles. It's about the New Testament church. Then all the rest of the books in the New Testament are letters written to various people or churches or groups, except for the last book, which is what God revealed to John on the Isle of Patmos. A lot of things having to do with the end time, the book of Revelation. All of those letters, though, between Acts and Revelation, they are put in the order that they are in, in your Bible, according to their size. The uh, canonizers, the people that organized the Bible in the order that it's in and decided what books and how that would be divided into chapters and verses and so forth, decided to put the letters beginning with uh, the letters of the Apostle Paul and then so forth the others, and they're in the order of size. So look at your Bible when you go home. That's interesting. 1 Peter 5 and 8. Sorry for leaving you standing so long. And uh, Peter says in this verse, chapter 5 and verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom He may devour. Very familiar scripture, I'm sure, to most here today. God bless you. You may be seated. The Lord will bless His Word. Today I'm going to talk to you from this subject, the Elijah complex. Everybody know what a complex is? It's a a, a sometimes complicated issue. Uh, It has to do with... uh, Something that's wrong, usually, not always, but uh, in this case it is. We're going to talk about an event in the life of the prophet from the Old Testament, Elijah, and how that relates to our living in this life, in our day, for the Lord. And how many are glad you live for the Lord? Uh, It's important for us to know how to fight against our enemy. We know that we fight against uh, several spiritual enemies. There is, of course, our flesh nature. Our folk here at Calvary hear that from their pastor quite often. Frequently, I talk about uh, keeping our flesh under subjection. And so many different obstacles to living in a way that's pleasing to God come to us through The sin nature that is a part of us that we inherited from our parents who inherited it from their parents going all the way back to Adam and Eve. Because of their sin, every human being that's been born in this earth has been born with a sin nature. The Bible calls it the carnal man or flesh nature or just simply the flesh. That's one of our spiritual enemies. Another one is the world. Uh, the Bible talks about keeping ourselves spotted from the world. It talks about the spirit of the age. That Greek word there is cosmos. It just means the world. And the world is uh, is coming at you and I full speed every day, all day, through various means, media of all types, and uh, our... One of our biggest, if not the biggest, spiritual enemy that we fight against, the devil, of course, uses these other things. He uses our flesh against us. He uses the world and uh, all that's in it to come against us because he hates the God that we serve, and therefore he hates us. So we are a soldier in the army of God. Uh, As somebody coined the phrase, we've got it to do. There's no way out of it. There's no way around it. You can't uh, escape from the fight, from the battle. I just want to be like Paul when he said at the end of, of his race, he said, I've run the race. He said, I fought a good fight. I want that to be said of me at the end of my life. Don't you? So we need to learn how to fight and win victory in these spiritual battles that we face so often, and uh, we want to fight the good fight of faith, as the Apostle Paul coined the phrase. Uh, but I want to talk to you this afternoon about something that you may not have thought of before, if if you have perhaps, uh, maybe you can still learn something from this. But I want you to consider the period of time after the battle is over, after You've won the victory in a fight, a spiritual battle. You've won, and God's given you the victory, and God will always give you the victory if you fight his way, if you let him show you what to do and you follow his instructions, mainly that's given to us in the word of God. His, his word is a handbook that tells us how to fight and win. And uh, most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time when we don't win, it's it's usually our fault. And it's because we haven't followed the instructions that our commander-in-chief has given us. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. But we need to understand that after we have fought a battle and won and God has given us the victory, that there is a time period that comes after the victory in which we need to be careful because that is often a time when the devil will come to us and set up a roadblock and try to trip us up again. So I'm going to talk about that this afternoon, how to not just gain the victory, and that's very important, but we need to know and understand and do what is necessary to keep the victory amen you know it's easy to sing and shout when you're victorious and uh you're excited about what god has done for you and you tell folks you know god's given me this great victory sometimes you come to church and and uh you've just gone through a a battle and god's given you victory and uh After that, you may go home and and let down your guard. And that's when the devil tries to come in to attack us. There's an old saying that goes like this, let us be as watchful after the victory as before the battle. And that's a good statement because it tells us to be forewarned and forearmed against whatever the devil will bring against us. Here's another uh, saying, it's not original with me, but I like it. Life is not a playground, it's a battleground. And we need to remember that. Of course, Paul tells us, Paul was very, very well-schooled and, and understood the principles and the concepts of spiritual warfare. He talks a lot about it in his epistles. And if you, if you include the book of Hebrews, which many Bible scholars believe the apostle Paul wrote, as well as the other books in the New Testament that are attributed to him, including Hebrews, you count them up, Paul wrote half of the books of the New Testament. So I think he, uh, not just because uh, it's in the Bible, that's reason enough, but Paul knew what he was talking about. He obviously had been through many great spiritual battles. But in Ephesians 6, you'll remember, he reminds us we wrestle not, we fight not against our brothers and sisters or even... Uh, other people that are not a part of God's kingdom, but we wrestle, we fight against the principalities of the air, the powers of darkness, uh, against the rulers uh, uh, of spiritual kingdoms in Satan's overarching kingdom. He says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darknesses of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And so we, re- we need to remember that. We are in spiritual warfare. And we know that the devil is going to try to hinder us. But sometimes we don't know exactly how he's going to do it. The Bible talks about, again, Paul writing to be wary of the snares of the devil, the tricks of the devil, the traps of the devil. You know, it would be silly for me to sit in my house and just watch the devil if he somehow took a uh, uh, physical apparition and you could see him walk into my house and let him attack me or my family. Uh, Jesus himself said if you know, if the goodman of the house, the, the master, the, the head of the household knows what time a thief is going to try to break in and steal and do damage, then then anyone with common sense is going to be ready for them. And he says, we need to do the same spiritually. So we can't just sit by and do nothing and allow Satan to come in and to devour our homes and our lives and our families. We must take authority over him. Amen. So most of the time, if you're a good Christian, if you understand the principles of the Word of God, you're going to be on your guard. But I just want to caution you today, the point of this lesson, this little A tidbit from the word of the Lord this afternoon is to not let down your guard, spiritually speaking, after you win a battle, after you win a victory. And we need to be careful to guard over our lives and our homes and our families and our loved ones through two things. We do that with this book called The Bible, The Word of God. How many believe the Bible tells you how to live in victory, walking in relationship with God? And the second thing that we use is another of our spiritual weapons. Paul, again, writing, said the weapons that we have, the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. They're not temporary. They're not rifles or bullets or tanks or uh, ships cruising on the ocean with their great super firepower. But he says the weapons that we do have, They're not carnal, they're not physical, they're not tangible, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, the strongholds that Satan and his imps build up in our lives, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. That's where the battle takes place most of the time. Is right here between our two ears. The devil attacks us with thought bombs. I'll call it that. He says, our weapons are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations in every high thing that bringeth itself against the knowledge of God. It's thoughts where we win or lose the battle 99% of the time. So we use the Bible, which gives us God's thoughts, and then we use uh, the other weapon, spiritual weapon that we've got to use regularly on a daily basis is, of course, prayer. Uh, if uh, you talk to somebody who's been in the military, um, I, I, I assume this happens in, in more than uh, one of the branches of military. Uh, I'm sure it happens in the Marines, especially in the Army, though. I've talked to uh, veterans who were in the Army, and they tell me, uh, some of them I've talked to actually were involved in this, that wherever there is an outpost, wherever there is a, a fort, wherever there's a base, wherever there's a group of uh, soldiers, whether it's permanent or temporary out in the battlefield or the, the fort you have right here in the United States, that they, they have this policy of posting guards. All around the perimeter. They're called sentries. And if you are familiar with warfare, it happens on the battlefield as well as on home base. But they will post sentries to keep the enemy out. To keep the enemy from coming in and attacking and gaining advantage. Uh, Besides protection, the sentries also sentries These are soldiers that are posted on the outskirts of the base or the camp out in the field. They also give advance warning when the enemy is near. The Word of God is our sentry, folks. It gives us warning. It's our defense against the enemy. That is why you must Have your nose in this book, as the old saying goes. You've got to know what it says. And I'm going to tell you, like I've told you so many, many times, dozens, perhaps hundreds of times over the years, the more you know this book, and you can't just know it. James said, don't just read it and then go away and don't do it. You have to do it. The more you know what's in the Bible and the more you apply it to your life, everyday living, the more victory you will have. And the less the enemy will defeat you. It's a, a direct proportional relationship. More Bible, more victory. Less Bible, less victory. So uh, if we will walk according to the Word of God and what it says, and, and, and this, this book, the Bible, is so wonderful. It's full of not just advice, but it, it's, it's our manual for life, instructions that God wants us to live by. There's so many people that the enemy, the devil, will tempt and, and confuse and lie to people in the world and even in God's family and say, oh, that, that, that book, it's, got, it's just a book of rules. It's going to cramp your style. It takes all the fun out of life. And the devil will tempt people and deceive them and get them to, for whatever reason, not live their life according to God's Word. And when you're in that category of people, you're going to suffer because of that spiritually. Uh, The Elijah complex is what happens. It's the philosophy and the thinking of a person who is not doing that, who does not do what I've just talked about and use the Word of God and use prayer To be, as Peter said, put 1 Peter 5 and 8 up again, brother, who are not being vigilant because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. You have got to be alert and abiding in the Word of God if you are going to be able to detect the enemy trying to slip in unaware into your life. And if you... Somehow do that. If you're not alert to the enemy prowling around, seeking how he can get at you, if you are not on your guard spiritually, then you have the chance of falling into the Elijah complex. What is that? What is the Elijah complex? Well, uh, Elijah was, uh, of course, an Old Testament prophet that uh, experienced a great victory. Uh, he prayed uh, for the Lord to stop the heavens from sending rain. And the Bible says it, it didn't rain for three years. And then he prayed again, and the rain came, Elijah was the man of God. He was the spokesperson, as the Old Testament prophets were, and New Testament as well, to the people for God. And um, Israel at the time was suffering under the leadership of a backslidden, evil, wicked king, uh, Ahab. And the Lord uh, used Elijah to speak to him and... There was a, a really neat story, uh, an interesting event took place in Elijah's ministry and his life in his confrontation with 400 prophets of the false god Baal. Baal was a, a, an idol that some of the nations around about Israel at that time Uh, that Israel had adopted to be their God. And many Israelites, many of the Jews, uh, were worshiping Baal. And the king had taken a wife. Her name was Jezebel. And she encouraged this idol worship, worship of this false god, Baal. And God had had enough. And uh, he sent Elijah to confront the situation. And God gave Elijah a great victory. Uh, there on the mountain, and something happened to Elijah. I, I'm not sure uh, the details of, of what was going through his mind except for the little bit that the Scripture gives us about his thoughts. When the victory was over, Elijah let his guard down, and he did not properly think or apply the words of God to his situation, and uh, it, it, it really turned out bad for Elijah. And so we're going to look at that experience today and learn from it, hopefully. Uh, but, but remember this, Elijah's faith, the, the lapse in his faith, the letdown in his faith started after one of the greatest victories ever recorded in the Word of God. So, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 18, and Elijah's up on Mount Carmel, uh, and a great victory is given him there. He, uh, he's challenged the prophets of Baal, and he said, let's, let's do this, boys. Let's, let's build an altar. You build an altar. I'll build an altar. We'll make it out of stones, out of rocks, and we'll, we'll put a sacrifice on it, an animal And then we'll both pray to our God. You pray to Baal, and I'll pray to Jehovah God, the one true living God. And whichever God answers by fire, in other words, whichever God will send down fire from heaven to burn up the sacrifice on the altar that they have built, then they're the winners. And Israel we we'll, we'll 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 just kind of call this a wager. whoever wins, the whole country has to follow that God that sends down fire from heaven. and so they agreed, and so it was on and uh Elijah sat back and he listened to the prophets of Baal uh pray to their God, and he began to kind of have himself. Uh, A little bit of a good time after a while, he started mocking them and making fun of them. Uh, Put up verse 27 of 1 Kings 18. We'll just read one of them. It says, it came to pass at noon, Elijah mocked them and said, cry out loud, for he is a God. And and, uh, Do you get the sarcasm there in his voice? He's a God, so you better cry out loud. I mean, if he's God, why cry out loud, right? Either he is talking or he is pursuing Now, the King James translators were very nice and proper gentlemen. And uh, does everybody know what pursuing means? Elijah really, uh, he was cutting these prophets. He was really cutting them down. Pursuing means going to the restroom. That's what that means. Maybe he's taking a restroom break or he's in a journey. Maybe he's gone on vacation or perhaps he's sleeping and you have to wake him up, so, you know, get loud. And so the prophets, of course, I'm sure stirred on by Elijah's words, the prophets of Baal, they begin to cry out louder. And then they begin to cut themselves as if that would get their God's attention. By the way, the God of this world, the devil, he uses that. I've heard of that for several years now. Young people do that uh, for whatever reason, for psychological Uh, of course, uh, problems that they have. Uh, The devil, I hate the devil, don't you? Well, they were cutting themselves. But Elijah, of course, he was on the right side. He served the one true living God, and he knew that God was going to show himself mighty in that situation. And So when his turn came, he stepped up to the altar, and uh, he, of course, had built it out of, stones. And he didn't just uh, build an altar and then put a dead animal on it. A sacrifice and sit back and, and wait for God. He wanted to make his point and he wanted to make it big that God was God and he could do anything. So what did he do? He called for the workers, whoever it was, to come and dig a trench around that altar of stones now remember the altar is made out of rocks keep that in your mind put that away in a little certain place we'll come back to that he said dig a trench i don't know how deep the trench was but it was enough that elijah then said now i want you to bring water and they brought water and fill the trench up with water pour it all over the altar all over the sacrifice the dead animal and then elijah began to pray And uh, the Bible records his prayer, and I I counted the words one time. I don't remember what it is, but less than 100 words is the prayer that Elijah prayed. It it took less than two minutes, less than one minute to pray. And God showed up. And did he show up? Uh, You know what? I want to read this. Let's let's go... um, I want you to know what a great thing God did here. Let's just read some of it. Verse 31. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, and he put the wood in order on the altar, and he cut the bullock in pieces, laid him on the wood, and said, Fill four barrels with water. Pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Has anybody here ever tried to have a fire with wet wood? Can't do it, can you? Then he said, do it the second time. So they poured water on it the second time, apparently four barrels. They did it the second time. He said, do it the third time. Wow. And they did it the third time. The water ran round about the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. Now, Sometimes you have to stick your neck out for God. But when you do, the Lord's going to be there, isn't he? If you're walking in the will of God. It came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, here's his prayer. You can count the words when you get home if you want to. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I've done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that the people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. In other words, back to the Lord. Israel was backslidden. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, the bullock, the animal, And the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Folks, God not only sent fire down from heaven, but he sent down holy heavenly fire that burned up things that earthly fire won't even phase. Wet wood, rocks, it burned up the water all over the wet sacrifice and it burned up the dust around that altar. You talking about a victory? That was a victory. I, I would. Uh, I don't know about you, but if I was given a victory like that from God, I'd be walking with my head high. Praise God! I'd be thanking God for it and praising Him for it. This man of God called down fire from heaven, and he watched in triumph that that, that's a word for when you win and win big in triumph as the fire consumed his sacrifice and consumed let's see four barrels times three times 12 barrels of water i don't know how big the barrels were but most barrels i've seen hold several gallons then that wasn't the end of the story in case you didn't know the rest of the story Elijah alone by himself, he had to be supernaturally empowered by God, took a knife or some kind of weapon and slew all 400 of those prophets of Baal single-handedly. I'm sure some of them fought back. You know, sometimes you have to read between the lines. Now, don't put in there what's not in there, but let's just think about it. It says that Elijah slew them That means he either had to really hit them hard with his fist or use some kind of a weapon. And I'm sure some of them fought back. Some of them were probably running as hard as they could in the opposite direction from Elijah. But some of them, I'm sure, fought for their lives, don't you think? And not a one of them escaped. You talk about a victory. That is a tremendous, I would say, tremendous victory over the devil. But enter wicked Queen Jezebel into the story. She heard about what had happened to her prophets. She decided to send a messenger to Elijah and say to him, chapter 19 and verse 2, so let the gods do to me and more also to if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So here was her threat. I mean, this lady didn't, couldn't have had much common sense. You would think any normal person, any rational thinking individual would think, my God, this man just... If this is really true, what I've heard, fire down from heaven at his prayer and, and it consumed 12 rocks and 12 barrels of water and an animal and dust. Uh, if you didn't believe in God, Jehovah, after that, then you have to be totally sold out to Satan. So obviously she was. So she wasn't thinking right. But she made this threat. And what did this great man of God do when he heard the threat? Now, remember, this was the man of God, the prophet who had just defeated all the prophets of Baal by the power of God and all of the great things that I just recounted the story for you. What did he do? He ran like a chicken. Excuse my language. He turned away. Let me say it nicer. And ran in fear. He ran from Dan all the way past Beersheba. In other words, from the northern part of the country all the way down the entire traverse, north and south uh, expanse of the nation of Israel, out into the desert below Beersheba. He ran and hid. He tried to get as far away from Jezebel as he could. Sometimes, again, after you have a victory, sometimes even a it can be a great spiritual victory, the devil will hit you with a counterattack. He knows he just lost the battle, but he's stubborn. He does not give up. He will not give up. He will, if you're not on your guard get through to you if you don't have your defenses up, even after you've had a victory. That's exactly what happened to Elijah after this great and mighty victory when Jezebel threatened him. He ran for his life. Think about it. The man had just called down fire from heaven. So why should he have been the least bit worried about this one single woman named Jezebel. If God could take care of Elijah in front of 400 men, surely he could take care of him uh, and protect him from one single woman. But Elijah didn't guard himself after the victory, and he began to expect the worst. You know, when you begin to expect bad things to happen, you're going to get in trouble. Don't go there. That's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to worry about what might happen in the future. Now, let's just put God aside. I really shouldn't say this, but I'm going to do it anyway. If you put God aside and take God out of the picture, I've read it many times throughout my life. Uh, Whoever did it uh, has done studies and 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 tested people and done surveys 90 plus percent of what people worry about never comes to pass now let's put god back in it and say i don't care how dark it looks and how bleak the picture may be god can give you the victory if you do it his way so uh If Elijah had depended on God to continue to be with him, if he had continued to go to God, now we have the Bible and we have prayer. Uh, Elijah didn't have a Bible, but he had a relationship with God. If he had continued to look to God and talk to God and seek God about what to do every step of the way, then he would not have been afraid of Jezebel, and he would have known that God was going to protect him and give him victory over her as well, just like he had the 400 prophets of Baal. But instead of doing that, he had a lapse in faith. Um, He wasn't on guard against the enemy's wiles. We need to learn, as I try to bring this to a close today, we need to learn from Elijah's experience, don't we? It's important that, uh, that we understand this. Some of the greatest tests and the greatest temptations in our life sometimes will hit us right after we have experienced some of our most tremendous victories. you got to file this away, folks. Put it in your, in your spiritual remembrance. Uh, You know, God gives us victory. He shows uh, his power to us in those victories. But we've got to learn the lesson from those victories that God wants us to learn. And that is, God can take you through anything and give you victory. But... For some reason, sometimes we forget that. We don't learn the lesson and apply it when the next battle comes like we should. So what can we learn from Elijah's experience? Well, for one thing, we need to stay in the book. This contains God's plan for our life. It tells us how to live I had a Bible college instructor make this statement in class one time. I wrote it down, and I've never forgotten it, and I've spoken it across this pulpit dozens of times over the last 30 years. The Bible is a book of principles. The world and the devil will use the word rules. Call it whatever you want. I'd rather obey God's rules because what happens to me and what I get from obeying God's rules is a whole lot more pleasant than living by the devil's rules. He said, the Bible is a book of principles. To the degree that you align your life and live your life according to those principles, to that same degree you will be blessed in your life. Blessed of God. The word blessed literally means happy. How many are thankful for the manifold, many multitude of blessings, good things that God does for you? I'm so thankful for it. My instructor went on to say, but to the degree that you don't align your life with the principles in God's word, to that same degree, your life will be missing and lacking the blessings of God. And my friend, I can tell you from experience, I don't want to live that kind of life. I want as much of God's hand on me as possible because I know that's when I'm happy. That's when my life is fulfilled. That's the reason I was born and given life in the first place was to enter into a relationship with God and walk with him one-on-one in this love relationship day after day, on, right through this life and on into eternity where only God knows how great it's going to be there. So we need to learn to walk in faith where does faith come from again faith cometh by hearing by hearing the word of God that's what the scripture says so we have to guard ourselves with this book and what it says we need to do it in our areas of weakness we all have them they are somehow resident within our flesh nature Mine is different from yours. Yours is different from the person sitting behind you. Theirs is different from the person across the room. Uh, It's like two boxers in a boxing ring. You've heard me say this before. They get in that boxing ring, and the bell rings, and they're off, and they're punching against each other. And if a boxer lands a blow, a good punch somewhere on the body, especially the face of his opponent, maybe a cut ensues, and that cut starts to bleed that boxer sees that immediately boxers are trained they know instinctively and by their training they have inflicted a weak spot in that person's armor it may be something that's not inflicted by them it may be that through scouting and prior reports and knowing their opponent that's why we should know our opponent we need to know how the devil operates so we can defend ourselves and fight and win more victory maybe in a in a in a scouting report that boxer has been told your opponent has this particular weakness in his defense maybe he he lets his guard down in a certain area The devil is like that. He knows what our weakness is and he goes after it. That boxer, once he opens a cut on his opponent's face, he'll keep going after that cut again and again, trying to make it bigger, trying to make it hurt more until finally uh, it's what causes that opponent to lose and he brings him down. The devil is like that. The devil hates us because we serve a God that he hates and kicked him out of the heavenly abode where he was. So when we trust God and we give our lives to God and we we decide we're going to enter into this relationship with God and walk one-on-one with him, when we do that, God sees to it. It, 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 it makes him take on the responsibility to deliver us whenever and wherever he can. And when God doesn't deliver us, uh, I'm going to say this because I've I've never never, uh, seen it happen otherwise. When God doesn't deliver us, it's always our fault because we're not living, let me say it this way, we're not fighting according to his battle plan that's in this book. This thing works, folks. It works. It never fails. The word of God, it says of itself, is forever settled in heaven. It's the truth. It's all true. It will never be false. Jesus said, "If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believe. And then in another place, he said, "The things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Right after you have a victory is no time to let your guard down. As we stand together today, we got to keep on fighting the good fight of faith. Because as long as we're on this earth, you hear me, my friend, as long as you are breathing on planet earth, the enemy is either watching you, looking for a way to attack you, or he's in full attack mode already trying to defeat you but we can depend on our God we can depend on our commanding general he will never make a flawed decision he'll never uh, engage us in a battle with a battle plan that will bring defeat if we'll follow his instructions amen I'm telling you today there is no test There is no trial. There is no circumstance. There is no situation that is too hard for our God. And if we look to his word and if we stay connected with him in prayer, that's what gives us the ability by the Holy Ghost to live his word, then he will give us victory. Praise God. Why don't we lift our hands right now? in this closing prayer and thank God for the victory today. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I don't know what these precious folks here today under the sound of my voice are going through. I'm sure there's some of them, maybe several that are in the fight right now. God, you know how to bring victory. Thank you for victory today. Help us, Lord, to do what we must do in order for you to be allowed and and able to give us that victory, Lord. Help us to walk in your word to walk close to you, was to fall in love with you, Lord, and, and stay connected with you in prayer every day, all day. And we know, Lord, that you'll give us a victory. We thank you for it right now, God. We praise you for helping us, to help you to give us victory in every battle, even after the victory's won and the next test that comes is unexpected. God, help us to be wary. Help us to be Ever vigilant and watchful, so that you can again give us victory. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody said, Amen. Praise God. God bless you. Thank you for listening today. Uh, We've got about nine minutes till our two o'clock worship service. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. Calvary Church is located at 406 North 44th Street in Mount Vernon, Illinois. Service times are Sunday school at 1 p.m. every Sunday, except the last Sunday of each month, and worship service at 2 p.m. Also, we have an all-church service at 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday. Calvary Church is affiliated with the United Pentecostal Church International. Thank you, and have a blessed day.